friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the October 18th edition of the sunny side of sports. Let's give a sunny side of sports salute to French footballer Kareem Benzema, who won the men's Ballon d'Or trophy for the first time in Paris after a brilliant season with Real Madrid, capped by the UEFA Champions League and Spanish League titles. And let's give another sunny side of sports salute to Spanish player Alexia Pateas, who won the women's trophy for the second straight year after another stellar season with Barcelona. For reaction to the Ballon d'Or winners, Iron Mike Embonye contacted the chief football writer at ACLSports.com, Fisayo Dairo. I do sincerely think that the Ballon d'Or winners that emerged on Monday night were fully deserving of their titles, both for the men's and for the women's. Talking about the men, the feat of Karim Benzema was quite there for everyone to see last season as the Frenchman epitomized everything successful about Real Madrid last term. He scored 15 remarkable goals in the Champions League as the Champions League landlords again claimed the title, beating Liverpool in the final. Benzema scored crucial goals in the quarterfinals against Chelsea, in the semi-final against Manchester City. And all through that campaign, he was a menace to defenders. On the domestic front, he scored 27 goals in just 32 La Liga appearances as uh, the capital side again coasted to the title. Benzema, no doubt, no one could easily argue about or against him landing this Ballon d'Or. And for the women's... Alexia Pustea is also based in Spain. She's a Spaniard who plays for Barcelona, was the winner last year as well. She's the captain of the Catalan Giants. And before she got a nasty injury around the summer, she had already had a successful season for the midfielders, scoring 11 goals in the Women's Champions League, including the final, although she could not inspire her side to win that. But nonetheless... Pustaya has had a remarkable season on the domestic and uh, the continental front. No one can argue against any of these awards, and we do hope that their feats could easily spur many other stars to want uh, to fight for this particular gong next time. Sadio Mane, captain of Terenga Lions of Senegal, and Bayern Munich forward, won the Socrates Award for Humanitarian Actions. Was your fake on the only African on the awards list? It is very remarkable to see Africans being rewarded for what they've done. For Dumani, he is someone that encompasses the human side of football. It's not just about being rich. It's not just about the affluence and the wealth. He has appropriately invested back into the society that made him. A couple of years back, he saw to the building of a hospital in Bambali, in Senegal. He had seen to the building of mosques, schools, supermarkets. A footballer at that, not a government. 
is fully deserving of this Socrates Award. And that will inspire many more African players. Yes, it is already inspiring them. Just a couple of days ago, Nigeria's Super Eagles captain, Ahmed Musa, also got his school in just Plateau State commissioned. You know, these are some of the things that can send good messages to African footballers, to footballers across the globe, and which they can really relate to by giving back to the society that made them. I'm particularly proud to be an African. I so much uh, enjoy having Sadio Mane on the podium, not just on the podium, also he was clad in an, in an entire African attire on the night, which truly shows what an African is. Fisayo, why haven't we seen an African Ballon d'Or winner since George Weah in 1995? I must admit that it does sound awkward that there has not been an African Ballon d'Or winner for 27 years now, the last being the current Liberian president, George Opong Weah, in 1995. Well, a number of factors can be attributed to that, but I would like to narrow it down to two for the sake of time. First, we must not ignore the fact that the Ballon d'Or started as a European award, so the Europeans have um, the preeminence over it, especially the UEFA Champions League is a key determinant in deciding who wins it. That's why years after years, it's performances in the Champions League that tend to determine who wins it. And when you have these clubs winning it, yes, there have been African contributors to teams that have won it. Chelsea in 2012, Didier Drogba, Samuel Etofields in 2005 with FC Barcelona, 2006, I beg your pardon. In 2019, Liverpool had Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane starring. But in the midst of, of these, you also have some other players from other continents also doing well for these uh, clubs. And then the second fact is yeah, for the past 12 to 14 years, there has been some sort of duopoly among these two amigos, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, dating back to 2008. So if you've had both of them winning 12 of the last 14 awards, then you could see it's, it's been very, very narrow for other competitors. But the good news is that in the last two awards, there was no Ronaldo, there was no Messi, which means the stage is opening up once again. And perhaps in the next couple of years, we might have an African rightfully claiming the award. I think it was a tad unfortunate and unfair that Salah did not win it in 2019, but the award still went to Lionel Messi. But the stage is opening up. We have still have Salah, Mane doing well for their clubs, and just Victor Simon also coming up. Perhaps in the next couple of years, an African will emerge as the king of the world. That's Fisayo Dairo, the chief football writer at ACLSports.com. And Fisayo spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Port Harcourt, Nigeria. Sporty greetings. This is Fisayo Dairo, chief football writer at ACLSports.com. And you are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. The Black Stars of Ghana will make their fourth World Cup appearance at next month's big international football fiesta in Qatar. Now, Ghana's best World Cup showing came at the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, where in controversial fashion, 
The Black Stars lost to Uruguay in the quarterfinals. The Ghanaians were eliminated in a penalty kick shootout after Uruguayan star Luis Suarez committed a handball on the goal line deep into extra time, preventing a certain winning goal. For the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, Ghana will play Uruguay again in group play as well as Portugal and South Korea. How excited are Ghanaians about the Black Stars competing in another World Cup? That's the question VOA's Jackson Vungani posed to Ghanaian sports reporter Victor Atsutamaklo. Well, I think Ghanaians are very excited. Um, obviously, the pain of missing out in the, of, on the 2018 World Cup and the disappointing nature of the 2014 campaign made people long for this more than ordinarily you would have. And the general excitement is also a sort of influenced by the fact that you have quite a number of high-profile Ghanaian players playing at some of the top teams in European football. And so there is that expectation that we are going to have world-class representation in our team, just as it was back in 2006, back in 2010. I mean, if you look through the team now, Kudus Mohamed is, is in the form of his life. Thomas Partey just scored a wonderful goal for Arsenal. He's got Kamal So as Talisu Mohamed. And a few players who Ghanaians have really taken to. And so that strong bond between the fans and the players and seeing mm-hmm. that their favorite players are doing well in Europe is, is also adding to the sense of expectation. And that they're hoping that, uh, you know, the, 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 their performances in other leagues in Europe and other places around the world, that they can translate that into a good performance at the World Cup. That's the hope, um, and it's not something that only the fans are having, but journalists as well. Because right. if you look at the Black Stars for some time now, the team has not been able to match up to the expectations. Uh, since making the final in the AFCON in 2015, it's been downhill uh, since that time. And right. If you look at the Black Stars team that we have had, there's always been the suspicion that we may not have been represented by the best of our players. But post the AFCON in 2022, that was perhaps our Western living memory, there's been a few changes. So Otuado has come in as the coach of the team and he's brought some new energy into the team with some new players that a lot of people are expectants that are going to do well. There's optimism that the new coaching staff, the new coaching team has actually prepared them quite well. Let me me ask you this. The, the, The Black Stars recently lost to Brazil uh, during an international friendly in France. What was the takeaway from that game in terms of how they are likely to perform? That exercise left Ghanaians more confused than it did offer any clarity in terms of what we are to see at the World Cup. Because before this game, the expectation or the whole conversation was about Otuado having, for the first time, an assembly of players that are perhaps better suited to the brand of football that he wants to play. He had already talked big about having Salisu and how he gives him that option of playing a third centre-back in the team. But the ex- we did not get to see him start Salisu against Brazil for us to have a fair assessment of the balance the team has and what would have been the foundation on which the team would be able to play some attacking football and then get results. But what's not in doubt is that there's a lot of attacking quality in the team there's Thomas Partey, well-known, Kudus Mohamed. Who are some of the players that we should be looking out for, the ones that are likely to be the playmakers, the difference makers? Obviously, um, the cameo that Iñaki Williams had against Brazil was one that 
I think he took full advantage of because even though he did not score, the runs, his movement, and his uh, connection with the teammates give Ghanaians an impression that he was a significant upgrade on the rest of the players that the Black Stars perhaps have given opportunities to in the past. So Inyaki is one of those players to watch out for. Kudus Mohamed undoubtedly is another player that a lot of expectations are going to be on his shoulder. Salisu Mohamed brought a certain stability and authority to the defense that previously had not been seen in the Black Stars team. Tarek Lante is another star waiting to explode in the Black Stars jersey. So in terms of quality, there are quite a number of players to look out for. Osman Bukhari at Real Star Belgrade is another one of those players. Kamal Sowa is scoring for fun in the Champions League. And so we, without bragging, I would like to say that we are supposed for choice in terms of starters. <laughs> I love the optimism. Uh, and, and what would you say are some of the mistakes that were made in the previous appearances uh, that you would love to see them improve upon? I would say the tactical naivety, if there is anything like that, in the games versus Brazil in 2006, in 2010, I think the team was not street smart enough. Otherwise, uh, Jan and Co would have demanded for a goal instead of asking or protesting for a penalty in that infamous Luis Suarez incident. And then, of course, we know the distractions that um, prevented the team from excelling in 2014 and, in 2000, and even making it to the World Cup itself in 2018. And so, uh, technically, you expect the team to be a bit more prepared, a bit more to show a bit more maturity in terms of how they manage games when, when we're having a good spell and when we're not. Uh, because I, I've always believed that a prepared and provisioned Ghana team without distractions is always going to be competitive. So once we get, we're able to iron those kings out of the way, we should see a very interesting Black Stars team at the World Cup. Any special uh, celebrations, uh, festivities to send them off soon? What, what is the tradition usually before they, they, they go to the World Cup? Well, there is often one last training session where the fans will get to see the team before they end playing um, to wherever the World Cup is taking place. Uh, because uh, very often the pre-tournament camping takes place in a region uh, that, that is a bit close in terms of climate conditions to where the tournament is going to take place. Mm-hmm. So you have the team not spending too much time in Accra. The fans just get to see them once. Um, and, and which is often in, is in a very formal setting where they meet with the president or the sports minister and basically let the team know what the expectations are and give them assurances of the people's support before the end play. So that's one exercise um, that we're expecting will take place, especially now that we've got new players who have not played in Ghana before. Inaki has not played for the Black Stars in Accra or anywhere on the continent since switching nationality. The same goes for Tarek Lamte and a few of the other players. And so it would be a good opportunity for them to come down, bond with the, with the fans and before they and play, into, and play for the Black Stars. Just to conclude, Gideon mm-hmm. Mensah in an interview recently spoke about what it feels to have over 40,000 fans at the Babaya in that playoff time versus Nigeria to all of them behind the team because he said even though he had played in front of bigger crowds, never have he had such numbers knowing that they were behind him. And so that sort of energy is something that I feel the players could feed could feed off if mm. we have such an encounter with the fans. That's Ghanaian sports reporter Victor Atsu Tomaklo. And he spoke with VOA's Jackson Vunganyi from Accra, Ghana. I'm VOA's Sonny Young.
and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on the voice of America. Follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. Also, you can tune in some of your favorite VOA programs, including the sunny side of sports, and find much more at VOAAfrica.com. For world news, go to VOANews.com. A recent study suggests breaching the 1.5 degrees Celsius limit above pre-industrial global temperatures could trigger a series of tipping points that may lead to irreversible changes to our climate system. Hello, I'm Rick Pantaleo. Study lead author David McKay joins me to talk about the consequences of setting off these tipping points. Listen Saturday and Sunday to the Science Edition of Press Conference USA on The Voice of America. In African boxing, Zimbabwe's Kudakwashe Chiwandire successfully defended her WBC Super Bantamweight silver title over the weekend against a Mexican opponent. Michael Cariati tells us more from Harare, Zimbabwe. The Zimbabwean booked their debt with the WBC gold belt title holder after a unanimous points decision win over Mexico's Lina Monos in Harare to retain a silver belt. The three judges who were on duty were all in agreement, giving the fight to the Zimbabwean 96 to 92, 98 to 89, and 186 after 10 rounds. Zimbabwe's deputy sports minister, Tino Machakaire, and prominent businessman, Wikneo Chivayo, each awarded Chwandire $10,000 for a victory. Renowned Zimbabwean boxing promoter Stalin Mau Mau says it was a crowning moment in African boxing and wishes that will be more moments like this in future. I feel very, very elated by the victory uh, of uh, Kudakwajich Wandire. Uh, it was a crowning moment. Uh, we look forward to greater things. The Secretary of the Zimbabwe Boxing and Wrestling Control Board, Lawrence Zimbuzana, comments that hosting the WBC fight was an eye-opener for Zimbabwe as a country. So we believe that by hosting a major tournament like this one, a little, they attract a lot of attention, international attention, regional attention. So we just look forward to, to hosting such kind of future, in, I mean, such kind of events in the future. This was 206th win in nine fights in a career that also includes two losses and a draw. Chiwandire is now billed to fight the winner of the November 29 WBC gold title fight between Hoda, Yamelith Mekado, and fellow Mexican Marian Juarezi. Chuandire says she has always dreamt of herself wearing the WBC gold belt, and now that she has the chance, she is not letting it slip. The belt I have is the second day. Someone will have the first belt. So that one is um, Mercado from Mexico. And I will go and take that title, that first one, from Mercado and return it here in Zimbabwe. However, a trainer and promoter Clyde Msondra wants more than just the WBC gold belt. 
he wants to wandire to be the undisputed super bantamweight champion of the world. Uh, she's heading to unified belts, IBF world title, WBA world title, WBC world title. First, however, she has to win the WBC gold belt before dreaming big. For the Sony side of sports, this is Michael Kariati in Harare, Zimbabwe. Thanks, Michael. In more boxing news, former WBC heavyweight champion Deontay Wilder of the USA knocked out Finnish opponent Robert Hellenius in the first round over the weekend in New York City. Wilder ended things early with a short right that put Hellenius flat on his back just as the round was about to conclude. It was a morale-boosting win for Deontay Wilder after consecutive losses to Tyson Fury. Wilder improved his record to 43 wins, two losses, and one draw. Hellenius now has a record of 31 victories and four defeats. Speaking after his big victory, Deontay said, and I quote, Deontay Wilder is back. The excitement in the heavyweight division is back. There's no heavyweight division without Deontay Wilder. That's a fact. Let's give a sunny side of sports birthday salute to Martina Navratilova, one of the greatest female tennis players ever. Martina is celebrating her 66th birthday on this Tuesday. She was born in Prague in the former Czechoslovakia. In 1975, at the age of 18, Martina asked the USA for political asylum, and she became a U.S. citizen in 1981. During her very successful tennis career, Martina won 18 major singles titles. major women's doubles titles. And along with Chris Everett, her greatest rival, Martina Navratilova dominated women's tennis in the 1970s and 1980s. Martina Navratilova. The Asian Football Confederation has announced 2022 World Cup host Qatar will stage the 2023 Asian Cup 
replacing original host China. VOA's Gwen Uten tells us more. Sporty greetings, Gwen. Sporty greetings, Sonny. The confirmation that Qatar has been named as the host nation for the next Asian Cup came on Monday. In a statement, the president of the Asian Confederation said, Qatar's capabilities and track record in hosting major international sporting events and their meticulous attention to detail are well admired throughout the globe. He continued, with their existing world-class infrastructure and unrivaled hosting capabilities, we are confident that Qatar will stage a worthy spectacle befitting the prestige and stature of Asia's crown jewel. As the news spread, people across Qatar expressed their excitement, like Andrew, who was on business in the country when he heard the news. Andrew praised Qatar's expanded infrastructure, but issued a warning to watch out for his home country, Australia, on the pitch. Just heard the news that uh, Qatar's getting to host the Asian Cup. Very exciting. You've got great infrastructure here. You're so well prepared with the World Cup, so I'm sure it'll be a breeze. But watch out for the Socceroos. We're very hot. The Asian Cup was first awarded to China in 2019. However, the country pulled out earlier this year because of its zero-COVID policy. Qatar beat two countries to replace China as hosts of the upcoming tournament. Indonesia lost their bid largely due to their lack of infrastructure. The government of Indonesia has just announced plans to demolish the football stadium where more than 130 people died in a stampede earlier. Earlier this month, Qatar also outbid South Korea, dubbed the favorites to be awarded hosting rights. The country has not staged the competition since 1960 when they won their second of their two Asian titles. Qatar last hosted the Asian Cup in 2011, and this resident says the tournament's return feels like a second World Cup. I was really excited to hear that and I was reading in the newspaper today and uh, it's kind of a second World Cup and uh, it's a big event and it will put Qatar uh, in the top top nations which uh, which, hold, which has been like, holding the events regularly. The Asian Cup is held every four years in June and July and was last staged in the United Arab Emirates in 2019. However, the Qatar Football Association has proposed that the tournament is shifted to early 2024 to avoid the hot temperatures of the Gulf summer. Meanwhile, the weather won't be a problem for the upcoming World Cup. The tournament is set to kick off in Qatar on November 20th, and FIFA President Gianni Infantino has announced ticket sales are now approaching the 3 million mark. Those in attendance will have to carry a digital Haya card at all times. The fan ID card will serve as a permit to enter the country as well as stadiums and fan zones and will provide access to free transportation. Venue manager Syed Al Sawadi says all it takes is a simple application. Your Haya card is your entry permit to the country. So, if you have the application, or or or, or, or uh, if you have the ticket and the application, you can step in, uh, in, uh, inside the country. If God forbids you have a certain problem with the application itself, there will be several customer service officers that are available at the airports whether it is Hamad International Airport or Doha International Airport. 
As soon as you enter the country, you are uh, eligible to use the services that has been given, as it has been stated a couple, a couple of minutes ago. In addition to that, if you get to have any kind of problem, you can access the hotels, which will ha have customer service as well, and we will have access to this service center and ABHA service center. In addition to that, the stadiums. So we have made sure that if you have a problem with the application, you have more, um, you have more than one option to solve that. And Haya Executive Director Syed Al-Khwari says more than half of total ticket holders have signed up for the card. The number is increasing yeah. one by one, but yeah. uh, I can tell that we have covered 75% of the total ticket holders so far. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a positive number showing us that people are using this platforms and they are applying. And this center, inshallah, will be serving them whenever they want to have their card printed with them. This week, FIFA launched a new ticketing app that gives users access to tickets and information on their mobile phones. FIFA has also announced that paper tickets will go on sale in Doha on Tuesday. But whether fans download a digital ticket or buy a physical one, all are encouraged to apply for the Haya ID card, which will be mandatory to attend all World Cup matches. And that is all for me, Sunny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uten. And that wraps up the October 18th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. And that's the sunny side of sports.